how the how too is another thing that we have to uh, let go of because we always wonder how is this going to happen. And um, the how really gets in the way because then we really limit ourselves to this one thing that we think could happen. Right. And then it's like, dang, you, you, you closing off all the different possibilities um, that can come your way by just thinking about how it's going to happen. Welcome to episode 90 of the Bay Shed podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. Double bass players, everything you need for the double bass can be found at lemurmusic.com. Back on September 3rd, Lemur Music held the first annual Bass Day by the Beach fundraiser. That was a wonderful event. That was a wonderful event that raised money for music education, the Silver Lake Music Conservatory, and programs that educate and assist those with autism. Uh, the folks at Lemur Music are also involved with the Jeff Bradetich Foundation. The Jeff Bradetich Foundation is hosting a virtual bass and cello conservatory. Classes begin on Thursday, September 22nd. You can apply for the conservatory at www.bradetichfoundation.org. That is B-R-A-D-E-T-I-C-H foundation.org. You can also listen to my talk with Jeff Bradetich on episode 80 of the Bay Shed podcast. As always, as always, stop by lemurmusic.com for everything you need for the double bass. All right. On the episode is electric bassist Brandon Brown. If you don't know about Brandon Brown, you need to know about Brandon Brown. But here's a little, here's a short little, here's a short little shout out of Brandon's resume. This is ridiculous. He's worked with Isaac Hayes, Boys to Men, TLC, New Kids on the Block, Jessica Simpson, Stevie Wonder, and the Jacksons. Come on, Brandon. Dude, leave some gigs for the rest of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, damn. <laughs> in addition, in addition to all that, Brandon won an Oscar for his work on the, the, the movie from 2005. The movie was Hustle and Flow with Terrence Howard. Uh, that was a cool movie. Brandon played on the soundtrack. Yeah, it was dope. I didn't actually know that. I didn't know that he played on the soundtrack, but he won an Oscar for it. In addition, in addition, Brandon also leads his own group, the Brandon Brown Collective. He'll discuss the group, as well as coming up in Memphis, and the scene in Memphis, and how the passing of Dr. Martin Luther King impacted the sing there. Uh, definitely check out Brandon online. His Instagram handle is at PastorFunkIG, and the handle for the Brandon Brown Collective is the underscore BBC underscore. I'll have both links uh, up at thebayshed.com backslash podcast backslash Brandon Brown. And here it is. Here's my talk with the pastor of funk himself, Mr. Brandon Brown. How you doing, man? Yo, I'm doing great, man. Thank you. How about yourself? Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, so you told me you were in L.A. for a while. What, uh, where are you going? Yeah. Um, where Where am I going next or where was I? Let's do both. Where were you? Well, I had a few things with my band. Yeah. Uh, the BBC, we had a show. We had a uh, festival, our first uh, European festival in Amsterdam. And it went really great. And we played a gig in Greece as well. It was a wedding gig, actually. 
Okay. Which was really, really cool. Again, playing like our, our original music. So that was nice. And then in the before and after that, I was with the Jacksons in uh, Toronto and Philadelphia and uh, some other cities too. They kind of slip in my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all just runs together, right? <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Let, let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back. I know you're from Memphis. Yes, sir. Uh, I got a lot of questions about this. One. Well, let's start here. When did you start playing the bass? What age? I started. Um, probably started playing the bass around 14. I started playing drums when I was two, though. Oh, damn. OK. And, uh, so it's, I've been. Since conception, <laughs> bitten by the music bug, you know, my whole family plays and sings, and and so I get it honest, really very honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the bass, um, around 14, 15. Okay. So coming up in Memphis, which has a long, amazing lineage of music and music, American music history, yeah. uh, what were you hearing live, like around? Like what, what kind of things were you exposed to live music-wise? I mean, we'll get into the recordings too. Uh, a whole, whole lot of gospel, man. Gospel, mm-hmm. blues, and and jazz, but mainly gospel and blues, R and B. Yeah, um, it was funk in there, but I didn't know what the funk was when I was <laughs> at that age. I didn't know that what that was. Totally. Right. Um, not until I turned like maybe. 17, 18, 19, something like right in there when I really like, oh, okay, this is the funk. Okay, <laughs> and it, who was it? Was it Ohio Players, Parliament, James Brown? How'd you get um, in? Uh, I, I, I call him Uncle James. It was it had to have been James Brown. It's James Brown and Tower Power. Okay. As far as funk, when I realized what the difference, what funk truly was. And um uh, some Stevie, some Stevie too, because some deep cuts, like his early, uh, his early solo stuff. Like when he when he started producing his own stuff, that stuff is extremely funky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like those type of records. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I okay. did the Parliament, the Parliament Funkadelic thing. I really, honestly, I didn't even get sucked that in until maybe two thousand and. Believe it or not, 2017. Oh, that's recent. When I was really, because I wasn't, um, I didn't go, I didn't dive deep, deep, deep in on in, in their music like that until right. until uh, about 2017. That's a, it's a different thing, man. They had. <laughs> I mean, I've I've gotten a similar. Like, I didn't I didn't get into them, get into them until later, because it's like. I was, you know, still learning about harmony and still learning about how to play a baseline through changes and do all this. And they're not, you know, mm. <laughs> you got the one chord. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't, it was kind of both over my head and I thought it was, wasn't interesting because there wasn't a lot of harmony. Uh, so I didn't get into it till later, but then it's, yeah. then once I began to understand it all. You see how much harmony is really in there. Right, you right. Understand it, right? Yeah. It doesn't seem like that at first. Totally like, my thing was um my 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 family was a bit was a bit well is more conservative so they didn't even look at it that music the same they 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 didn't like they didn't even want me listening to that music when I was a kid okay because of the subject matter yeah and a lot of different things because grew up in a 
religious, but not super strict, but religious um, household. Okay. Back in Memphis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But but you're playing in the church. What age you start yeah. playing in the church? When I two <laughs> is that when, yeah, like, was, when you start playing the drums? I, at two. I mean, I started playing drums in church for real. Uh, when I was about eleven, twelve, I started getting paid to play in church. Okay. So. Uh, they would in my my family. They wouldn't let me play um, any fast songs. I had to only play ballads until I until I um, until I learned how to make the ballads feel good. And I couldn't play any up tempo. Really? <laughs> yeah. So that, I attribute a lot of my musicality to that. I hated it then. But of course, that, that discipline took me so long because I, I had to learn how to be musical. I had to learn how to use dynamics. I had to learn how to use structure. And this sure. was on drums, you know, at that yeah. time. So then, so it was, so being musical on the bass is, is an easy transition. Uh, that's a, that's kind of killing, man. Instead of parents just being like, oh, that's my boy. He's playing. And just like, let him go, let him go. Like, they're like, no, 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 no. All right. You had your turn. Come on out. They're about yeah. to do something up tempo. Seriously. seriously. It's hilarious. It's that's hilarious. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But it was, I hate, like I said, I did. I hated it then. Oh, Lord. But it was good for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then what year what year do you come out here? Two two thousand seven. Okay. Two thousand seven. I was twenty two. Um, if you're going by years of age. Yeah, yeah. Twenty two uh when I came here, which was really exciting. Okay. Really exciting. What what brought you out? Just give LA a go or did you have no. some no, it was, um, I was being obedient to, I guess, again, everything with me is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it starts from a spiritual place and then it manifests itself in real time. Like, um, my band, the band that I was in at that time, a band called New Genesis. Okay. That, uh, we had a bunch of records and stuff that we put out. Like, I've been releasing original music since I was like 17, 18, 19 years old. And I got a bunch of success from that like locally and nationally too with some things uh, from I was signed to this thing called hypnotize to a label called hypnotize minds as a producer and bass player uh, which is three six mafia's label okay um, so the song you hear like, I played on a bunch of classic bass lines like it's hard out here for a pimp that got an Oscar award yeah yeah uh, uh, hustle like, and flow right yeah, hustle and flow yeah, yeah I, I like that movie Terrence was, Howard Yep. Yeah. I was 19 years old and I played on a on that Emmy winning song, Oscar winning song, which is really cool. Yeah. And um Did and, you get the statue? And, and uh no, I get a certificate okay. for playing on a big in participation, but I don't get a statue. Okay. Um but I got the credit for playing on it. Yeah, so dude. The good. credit's better than all of it. <laughs> the yeah. credit's better than all of it. <laughs> it's really nice. And then um like uh uh, forgive me. What was your original question? Forgive me. I lost. I lost track of thought there. Um, I did too. I was thinking about the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um well, what I don't know. Where oh, we're, we're, L.A. Yeah. So my band yeah. moving to L.A. It was everything is spiritual. We did a fast for eight hours, seven days, eight hours, no food, no water. Mm-hmm. We were just meditating and praying, and and then at the end of the seven days, we heard you know moved to Los Angeles. But who was this? Was this your family or was this some my musicians? Band. This okay. is my band, New Genesis, that I was that I was in. Okay. Transition to so many other things. Cause they in that band, we all grew up together. Mm-hmm. Uh from like middle school on. 
some younger than middle school and uh ended up coming out here and kind of we we came here to play our own music like to do original stuff but then we kept getting these calls like boys to men and we were turning down all these gigs and then we couldn't <laughs> we had to start taking them you know so so that band we had we didn't we kind of lost focus on what we wanted to do as a band and started just doing individual gigs and stuff but those gigs were like the Jacksons and Stevie Wonder and right, those are you know, the not bad gigs. Like those yeah. are all <laughs> those are super are high profile, all, legendary yeah. acts. So you know that that happened, uh, but I I was always on mission here, and which is why you got the Brandon Brown Collective mm-hmm. BBC because was is really once that band once I noticed that that band wasn't going to be a band anymore, I was like, well, let me focus on my bass, my solo stuff, my bass stuff. And then that turned into this big funk band. And, and so. So what happened? Why did, what happened? Did new gener new Genesis, Genesis just kind yeah. of, uh, dissipate because everybody got busy with their own careers, individual well, careers, or was yeah. there some internal, you like, yeah, that. we need to pull the plug on this. No, that never happened. It was, okay. just, it was just people. This yeah, it just people had start taking gigs and yeah, and the projects uh, just time wasn't putting into those things, those projects anymore, and started focusing on other things. Okay, so yeah, it, that that's happened. That happened, but we still like uh, um, the the core group is still around. So How many really of them good. are in the Brandon Brown Collective? Two. Okay. Two out of the five. Nice. Nice. So during that time when you're doing like these major tours, Boys to Men, uh, you started with Isaac Hayes, right? Was that your yeah, first big we, yeah. Isaac Hayes and we all were in that we're playing with Isaac. He taught okay. us how to write music. How much of that do you think in retrospect was a, a loss of focus or more of a training ground to like really understand what it is to conduct yourself uh, on a high level and almost preparation for you know where your your collective can go? Yeah, which which part of it? Being in the band, being in the Genesis, or playing with? Isaac no, Hayes? playing with the big acts and like oh, that kind right. of being well, a training yeah. ground to grow you as a musician and as a professional yeah. to prepare yourself for what's coming next. That's a great point. That's it. it definitely um, added a lot of knowledge and experience, yeah. and, and which was you know you can't beat that. You can't buy that. You can't you can't right. go to school for that. You have to be in there. So. It's, it's de- it was definitely beneficial for us to do that and, and, and take advantage of those opportunities and the knowledge. Uh, so I am thankful for the, for that. I, I kind of, I guess, wish that, you know, the knowledge that I have now, I could have applied it then. <laughs> that's, that's always the thing, isn't it? <laughs> but um, yeah, but, I, but at the same time, I I do understand that it was all for a great purpose. So sure. I, I don't I don't wish that too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. so what's where's Brandon Brown Collective at now? Are you guys releasing some music? Are you looking to do bigger tours and not private events as much as just actual concerts? Well, we either did, in the States or abroad. Our, we just did our first festival overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, first big festival, which was they play our music on the radio in Amsterdam. Oh dope. Which is really, really nice. Yeah. Um, a lot of our fans are there. A lot of our fans are in Europe. Okay. We got a lot of fans here in the States too. And we've played a bunch of shows here, a bunch of sold out all the venues here in Los Angeles. Like, yeah. Sold tickets and all of that stuff. LA is the hardest place, man. When you're in LA, like when you live here, 
mm-hmm. if you're working here regularly, it's the hardest thing to do to sell a $15 ticket because <laughs> they can see you any other night of the week at some other mm-hmm. gig or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, um, I always, I've been blessed to, I've always been called or asked to do something or invited. I, I didn't really go. I, I, I was doing a whole lot. I mean, I'm talking about working my butt off. I just kept in, what I do is keep in touch with people. I'm really yeah. good at communicating and I'm good at being uh, professional and, and like, and being diligent with that sort of thing. That's taken I mean, that's how we ended up really being here and people hearing us because I knew certain people's faces like before there was oh, a, okay. before the Internet, you know, our so so taking it back to the church, our church came here in 2006 um, to visit another church. And we had a night off and we had found a sign that said live music. I had just turned 21. 22, 21 years old, and we were walking. We saw a place that said live music. Okay, cool. Let's go in here. So me and the guitar player, my boy Kyle Bolden, we walk in there, and I see Jerry Brown and Ricky Lawson. So okay. these two people, they play drums. Yeah. Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh shit, man! Do you know these? No one knew who they were. They just sitting there in the corner. I was just yeah. went up and fanned out on them. <laughs> Where was it? What club? Do you remember? Harvilles. Okay. Harvilles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Santa Monica. And, yeah, uh, sure. And so they, I, I, we talked to them, and I told them why we were there, and they was like, man, go get the rest of the band, come back, because it was a Monday night where they do, they still mm-hmm. do that jam. Yeah, they still so do. I it. went and got them. Got everybody, came back to the hotel. I mean, came back to the venue and the guy who was running the, 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 the jam didn't want to let us play. And Ricky, rest in peace to Ricky Lawson, he said, let them boys play. They from Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> he said, all right, y'all can play one song. And we ended up playing four songs that night. Okay. Ended up keeping in touch with the manager. We drove back to LA for a free gig all the way from Memphis. Drove. We, we did, we did it in 20, Two hours drove from Memphis, LA, just straight boom, did the gig. Damn. Did the yeah, free gig. And then from there, like met all these people. And then Ricky took us around and we started just kind of sitting in everywhere we could because we had like maybe a week here. Okay. And it was like, man, this when it started really brewing. Like, man, we should be in LA. And that's when we went back and did that fast. Yeah. And then we ended up moving. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so then uh, Boys the Men. No, Isaac Hayes was your first major tour here. Well, that was in Memphis. We were already doing that oh, while you, we lived in Memphis. Oh, when you were in Memphis. So what was the first one out here? Was that Boys the Men? The first okay. one out here was Boys the Men, correct. Excuse me. Cool. Yeah. What year was this? So you you're out here in 07, 2008. Yeah. So man, you're you're fresh here. You're you're yeah. a newbie and you already landed like a big gig. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it was a blessing. Did that just happen from being out in the clubs and networking and yeah, from playing around, playing and a guy named Rex Salas, who was their musical director at the time, mm-hmm. he was like, "Man, I got to get you guys on this gig," and so it worked out. That worked out nice. Yeah. How long? <laughs> how long were you out with them? I was with them for about two, three years. Okay. And in the middle of that, playing with like those first few years, it was Boston Man, Chris and Michelle. Leona Lewis and Jessica Simpson. Oh, damn. So those were my, those were my first few gigs between 2007, eight, nine. And then from there, I went to doing American Idol tours. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I did, uh, 
uh, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, Black Eyed Peas and Fergie. Okay. And then oh, I'm missing the Jacksons. That's the Jacksons came in from the same guy, Rick Salas. So how I got the Jacksons gig was that band, New Genesis. Um, we were playing with the late great Ollie Woodson. He was the least one of the lead singers from Temptations. Okay. And he treated us like his sons. And he was so close. I, I miss him. Think about him all the time. Anyway, this guy. I Rick's, opened up for them in Oklahoma one time oh, like really? years ago. And I think there was only, I can't remember how many. I think there was two original people left, maybe one. And what year was this? Ooh, that is a great question. Uh, wait, what are we in now? 22? Maybe 12? 12, okay, 12, 2012, was, 2014? Yeah, Ali was, 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 had passed by then. So, okay. I, so, um, yeah, he he wrote the song called "Treat It Like a Lady." There, oh yeah, like a hit, big hit song. He wrote that song, and anyway, Rex saw us playing with him, and he was like, "Man, I got this gig. I got this gig for y'all, man. It's Michael gig. It's coming up." We was like, he would always tell us this, and and because he's he's also um, Janice MD. Okay. For like for a bunch of years, like the Rhythm Nation and Velvet Rope Tours, he was the music director. And he's also married to uh, Rebe, which is the oldest sister of the Jackson family, married to her daughter. Okay. So he's a Jackson. Yeah. yeah. And, and so right. he was, um, he said, I got this gig for y'all. And he was talking about MJ. So we actually got called to be MJ's band. Damn. And, and um, and I was ready. We were, I, was, <laughs> I already knew all the songs, ready sure. to go, because he was going to change his band. And but he passed away before that could happen. And Mike, so, yeah, that's when and Mike so, passed. And, yeah. and, and so when he, and, and from we were talking about Michael Jackson, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he, and, and I, I like to say this too. I've always um, felt like MJ is my angel ever since I was a little kid. See, my mom—that's how I learned how to play the bass. Was learning the Jackson Five songs. Yeah, Stevie Wonder's, The Jacksons, uh, Marvin Gaye. Just I'm a Motown kid, mm-hmm. basically. And and uh, so now did you? Did you to hit pause real quick? Did you identify with the Motown label more than the Stax label? Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Because, what What do you um, think that was? Like, I'm fascinated by music and geography, and like uh-huh. Memphis had a sound and their approach to soul music, and Johnny Taylor and all that was mm-hmm. much different than the Motown thing, and drastically different from what was happening in Muscle Shoals. Uh, yeah. But they're all, you know, it's all soul, but it's all a very different version of it. Totally. So, what was it about Motown? Because it was pretty. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, it has had the bells, you know what I mean? It yeah. had lush strings. Mm-hmm. It had the bass, which was like all over the place. You know, yeah, it was yeah, so yeah. melodic. It was right. so groovy. And, the and a lot of times, like pretty hot in the mix. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. it was the number. But well, Motown got there. Barry Gordy moved to Memphis. This is a not re- really, really known story, but you can check it out in his book. But Barry moved to Memphis for a long time, to, for not a long time, for maybe a year or so. He was going back and forth from Memphis just to kind of understand stacks, like how they ran stacks and what, what they did. What was that sound? That's was he trying family. to snipe him? Was he trying to? Well, I mean, he's getting knowledge. Okay. You know what I mean? Like understanding the game and yeah. they were aware of it, you know, because they knew Barry. So they knew Mr. Gordy. So he was just getting knowledge. And he noticed how the bass was always up high. So Jamerson always said was really the only if you look at the at the routing of how they 
mixed early Motown records, Jamerson was one of the only things that had his own input. Everything mm. else was shared. Okay. Bass, it was like that number eight channel on that on their board. He would always have his own line. Okay. Um, so that that was that was how Memphis did it. Bass was always down his own channel. Mm. And so it 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 he learned that technique. Uh, from Stacks and then oh, into Motown. Okay, so like Stacks is still, um, and plus I was Stacks. You gotta understand this too. Stacks when I was born, it already ended. Like Stacks ended in 1968. Mm-hmm. When Dr. King was murdered in Memphis, which where white people could not go to South Memphis. Like literally, they were getting sniped. Like if white people when he when when Dr. King was killed. No more white people were allowed in South Memphis for like a while. And so Stax was an integrated label. It was people working together. You know, that's what music does. Music brings all classes of life together. And so when that happened, the music literally stopped. The industry, everything stopped Hmm. because they couldn't even do it. Like Steve Cropper, Doug Dunn, they couldn't go back over there. Right, right, right. I didn't know that, actually. I didn't know that. That it was all a reaction to Dr. King's assassination. 1968. Wow, crazy. Couldn't do it. You literally had to stop the music. So, And then the label folded. The whole industry, Memphis left. Everything got got, um, got terminated. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. And so, which is another reason probably why Motown stuck out so much. And I have a lot of family from Chicago. So I would, when all my Thanksgivings and summers, I was up North listening to all the Motown stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? And, and, and so it just really just hit me. My mom used to get teased for being such a big Jackson five fan. It was, it was crazy. And so <laughs> my son ends up being their MD and bass player. And I had Jermaine Caller for a birthday several times. She's just going crazy. Oh, that's awesome. You know, stuff like that. You know, so yeah. it's, it, it's funny how things uh, can turn around for you. Yeah. Um, through all these different ways. <laughs> yeah. What was, what did it feel like the first time you, you get to a rehearsal with Stevie or, or the Jacksons or any of these legends that you were growing up with. And now all of a sudden you're in the room and you're, you're on the gig. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's really what was, cool. what was that? Um, this is a dream come true again. For like, sure. like for me, I, I actually expected those things to happen. And one of those things that happened and knew that the love that I had, like, I just expected it. So I was, I was, I wasn't too surprised. I was just extremely happy that I was able to witness it. Yeah, that it was coming to fruition and all that, but you know, um, I'm very always thankful. But I wasn't. I knew I deserved to be there, and I knew that I loved it so much. Yeah, and that the love just shined through everything and allowed me to be there. That's how I. That's how I feel about it. Nice. (laughs) I mean, did you did you struggle with self doubt and wondering if you you know. I, I think that there's there's some kind of term for it now. I believe it's called imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like you think you're not really ready or equipped to be in some of these chairs or, you know, graduate to these different things in life. Mm-hmm. Did you did you feel a sense of that? Did you or was there um, always a deep rooted kind of like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I've been waiting for this since I touched the base the first time. It's about time that I'm, you know. Yeah, I didn't look at it really any of those either way like that. It was just natural flow of progression. Like 
it's just this is what this is supposed to happen. That's how yeah. I feel. I feel like it was this was this was no. I'm not surprised because like of course this would happen because I put so much time into it. You know, sure. so much love and and just I never I know I don't think um low thoughts. I, I do my best to always keep my my imagination open, you know, to to all the different possibilities. And I do my and I don't I don't do too much low self-esteem stuff, like especially with all the preparation I've done beforehand. Like I don't need to have no purpose to feel like I don't belong because I've right. worked, you know you put in the time. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and that's so, how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, so you're growing up, you're listening to the Jacksons, you're now on the Jacksons. Was there at any point in this in your career, your earlier career, that you got formal bass training or was it all from the records? Um, that's a great question. So I had, uh, when I was 15, I took a bass lesson and a guy, God bless this, this guy, but he was just like, I, I can't really show him things right now because he says he's at a level where he's still dis- discovering things for himself. And he's, and also he's like, he's doing things that I'm not doing. <laughs> and so I, it's a very weird time. And that was when I was like maybe 15, 16. So it was very interesting time. So I did do a, a lesson, um, but I mainly, man, I, I was also blessed, man. So how I started playing the bass is because I um, was Jermaine Jackson, like as far as visually, like, mm-hmm. I want to be like Jermaine Jackson. Then okay. when I heard, Victor Wooten's version of Overjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, show another, of Hands, right? Correct. Yeah. This is another Motown song. Mm-hmm. Ironically enough, I started crying, man. I was like, yo, I got to learn how to do this. Yeah, and, I never even heard the tune. And I think I heard Wooten do it first. I'll, I'll, and then exactly, I had to go backwards, yeah. Exactly. That's that's cool. That's But that's the beautiful thing about Discovery like and art. Like, you don't know how it's going to come at you. Right. Like, but then when it does, you, you you go deep and see like the origins of stuff. You're like, wow, he he created this from this. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so Victor Wooten. OK, so then when I'm 16, 17 years old, the Internet is like websites are coming out and Victor's posting about his base nature camp. I applied for it the first uh, season. First uh, camp, I didn't make it. I was devastated. Yeah. Second time, Victor Wooten calls my house. <laughs> what the hell? My dad is like, hey, Victor Wooten's on the phone for you. I was like, I was, I was in my room practicing. I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm serious. And I pick up the phone and it's really him. It's like, oh, shoot, Victor Wooten, man. How you doing? Hey, Brandon, uh, we'd love to have you at the camp, uh, but you're underage, so we just need to get your parents permission. You need to have a chaperone. Okay. okay, cool. So my parents couldn't take me because they're working. So yeah. I thank God for my, my big cousin, Nate. Okay. He took me to the camp and also my, my brother Stanley went with me to drive me off and my cousin Lance. And so we all rode, got in the car and rode from Memphis up to Nashville, which was actually, it wasn't in Nashville. It was at, um, in, a, in a park which is now Wooten Woods that he actually ended up buying. Oh, really? But it was at Montgomery Bell State Park. I never get this. And right there on I forty, which is I live. I mean, I'm from Memphis, so he's right up the road. You know. Yeah, yeah. So like for me, like when I tell you, like things that mean something to me, they always happen. Like it's yeah. very specific. And so like 
even with Big Dude calling my house when I was 16, you know. So that's when I actually had bass lessons because I it was with Victor Wooten at the Bass Nature Camp. So it's Victor so your Wooten. first lessons were with Victor Wooten. Victor Wooten. <laughs> Doesn't Reggie, suck. Reggie Wooten, you know, <laughs> yeah. Christian McBride, Edgar Meyer, okay. uh, freaking uh 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 Chuck Rainey, which we have the same birthday, June 17th. Oh, really? Yep. And then um and then, of course, the great uh, Steve Bailey. Mm-hmm. So all these guys were there on that first camp. And Anthony Wellington. Oh, yeah, yeah. Steve Divinity. I was so nervous because have, have how you have to introduce yourself to the, to the campers is you just play. You play you? 30, 30 seconds to introduce yourself on the bass. Yeah, yeah. Saying no words, just playing. And I was so nervous. I got up right in the middle of it and had to go and I threw up and diarrhea all over the place because <laughs> I was just so nervous. It's like it's like meeting Michael Jackson. Like imagine a singer and a dancer, and then Michael Jackson calling your house and inviting you to his camp to sure. learn how to sing and dance. Right. So that's how that was for Victor Wooten as a bassist. It's like Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, like yeah. asking you to come to his camp and learn how to play. And now at this age, were you already hip to the other? Uh, teachers at the camp or instructors were you hip to Steve Bailey and Rainey and did you know kind of who they were in the continuum uh, of bass? Well at that time I would only knew about Chuck Rainey because of Dancing Machine mm-hmm. and Dunny Hathaway records that he yeah, yeah. did or Aretha Franklin and things like that um, and and uh, so I was only really familiar with him and, okay. and, and Steve Bailey because of basic streams. Yeah. Vaguely. And so, and of course the Wooten brothers, I was familiar with them because of Vic. <laughs> and so getting a chance to meet them. And through that week, I ended up getting like a scholarship at the end of the whole thing to go to the base collective in New York city. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't go because I had my, I had gigs with my band. So I didn't go to the New York thing. <laughs> Uh, but I ended up going back to the camp again. But in the middle of that, like Victor, whenever he would like he had a show in Fayetteville, Arkansas, when we went and he invited me up to play with him. Oh, wow. Up on the stage. Totally surprised. Didn't know that was going to happen. Wow. And like stuff like that. Like I've been so blessed, you know, um, to to live my dreams and see and see a lot of different things. So Victor was my teacher. You know, he, yeah. he was my he was actually my first teacher. Okay. <laughs> so crazy. it's also fascinating that to kind of circle back of what it might have felt like walking into the room with Stevie or the Jacksons, there's almost like a conditioning that's taken place in your life of like meeting heroes. Not, it's always special. It's always special, but it's not, it's not foreign. You know, you can meet your heroes and be like, yeah, wow, now I'm studying with Vic. Okay, cool. Um, and then you, that changes the, the scope of the mental game a little bit. It's like, all right, well, if I was just taking lessons from Vic and he called the house, then why can't I play? It's very empowering and um, encouraging, things like very, that. Very much so. Very inspiring, man. Yeah. Like, it's like, wow, like, this can, this really happened. You know, I really wanted this to happen. I put the work in. I kept a positive attitude about it. And then, bam, it happened. And that's yeah. thing too with Vic. I adopted a lot of his mentality too for a moment because on the, at the camp I learned like you learn survival techniques you know it's not just music yeah or not just the bass you learn just different things uh, I learned how to track I learned how to walk barefoot you know I learned how to like build a fire <laughs> I slept hmm. outside for the first time 
you know, in a in a tent or a cabin, log cabin. Um, it was some what's, really cool. Experience. What's the tie-in to music with the the nature? nature survival things? Well, it was um, it was about being aware, okay. paying attention, working with others, like like not speaking with others, or speaking. Same mm-hmm. with music, like. And we got a chance to see Baylor Fleck and the Fleck Tones, which is the most yeah. amazing thing. Like Baylor, the whole band, they came and did a surprise performance. Yo, that's the coldest shit. I've yeah, dude, seen I've seen them life. live a couple times. Like that's <laughs> that's my favorite. Like I'm a huge Baylor Fleck fan. I went, yeah. I went down the rabbit hole about all these records he was on, not only with Edgar Meyer, but this band he had in the '80s called Newgrass yeah. Revival. Yes, I yeah. love that band. Yeah, I was I'm amazing music, bro. Like yeah. just just. Just next level, like hillbilly shit, man. But on some amazing, like, yeah, it's amazing. Like I hillbilly meets Return to Forever, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible, bro. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, no, I and love so, that band. I, I used to listen to Left of Cool religiously. Cool, yeah. yeah, that was the record. Oh man, yeah, that's yeah. you bring it back some memories. <laughs> you bring it back some memories there. That was fun times. Yeah, but like you know, growing up. And getting a chance to have all those experiences firsthand definitely did a whole lot for my um, confidence. Sure. And a lot for my, like, uh, my mindset of what I believe to be possible. Yeah. What, um, what's kind of, how are you, um, where's your mind at knowing that and that being your mindset? How are you putting that mindset towards the brand of brand collective right now? Like, well, what kind of things are you, I don't want to say manifesting because I, I think that word gets, there's some gray area in that word that I don't always like uh, believing in uh, what the because the, yours is yours is more of a face thing, but it, an assurance. It's not just this. I'm going to speak it into existence. That's why I don't want to use manifest. Right. Uh, yours is an insurance of something that's you can't prove yet. Right. I, I think what mani- manifesting is just a result of things that happen in your life. That's yeah. Manifest that does. We have those all the time. Like sure. people put a lot of emphasis on manifestations, but it's just like breathing. You're going to breathe. Right, 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 right. going to manifest, you know, yeah. and it's not that deep, right? Yeah. Like how you're saying. Um, so um, with the band, I think, um, like I said, we just plant, just playing our first festival overseas, our original music is like, such a big accomplishment for me, like man, to go international with your like, own group—that's yeah, huge. It's like, whoa! I don't, I don't take that lightly, or take it like it's not a big deal, and it's not—I don't take it like it's not like like it's um like I've made it or anything like that too. Sure. But I've made, but in in other words, it's just such a great feeling and accomplishment to see like what's possible because it was just a simple idea and mm-hmm. just watching it grow to this and to see where it could go, where the possibilities are. I'm very thankful. So mainly what I'm doing is just, we have new music that we're putting out uh, this holiday season. So that's going to be nice. And and, is there um, any relation to the holidays? Is it holiday music? Maybe not. No, this is going to be some fun. This is going to happen. (laughs) Honestly, I'm burnt on holiday music. Either (laughs) you need to like can all the old stuff and someone just needs to come out with some new stuff. Yeah, or we just need to do away with it all together. But I can't <laughs> handle another forty years of listening to Rudolph. You know what I mean? Like we That's just so need to funny. do something about this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's 
those songs I think are are good for those publishers that wrote them years ago. Oh yeah, it's They'll great have, for those people. You know what I mean? Like that's how I look at stuff now. I'm like, oh okay, well that's gonna be good for their families because yeah. it only happens like once a year where they can rack in on rack up on, on so those, much money, those yeah. spins, you know. So, I, I, but I feel you, Christmas music. I think it's just a good time to put out music because people are probably interested in hearing something new yeah. around that time to play. Sure. So, um, I agree. I that's that's more or less the motivation for this because I know people would are typically will be with their families. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, that'll be cool. Um, yeah, and I think I think during that season specifically, there's there's definitely going to be music on. You know, whatever, whatever the gatherings are, uh, yeah. if you're doing family dinners or business dinners, whatever people are, people are playing music, you know, right. a lot more, maybe that time of year, which is nice. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, so is that going to be a full length thing you're doing? Is it going to be a full length record? Another EP? Yeah. Um, it might be 10 songs. Okay. Putting all our songs out, like the singles that we have, we're going to put them those singles that are out now, plus some more songs are going to be put on there. Nice. Nice. So how much where are you at in the process now? Are you kind of just curating the the tune list? Or is there artwork? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's almost done then. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do the artwork? I'm excited. No, I, well, I'm, I didn't do it myself, but com- getting it commissioned, yes. Mm. How did you approach the artist? Like, did you give them a concept? Did you give them some did yeah, you have them check out the music and just be like, yo, however the music moves you, work it out? Yeah. Um, he listened to the music and I had a concept and I liked the artist um, work previous to working with him. And I was like, okay. So I'm like, oh, could you maybe do something like this or this? Or, yeah, yeah. Let's see how it comes out. <laughs> All right. So being from Memphis, have you guys done tours in the South? Yeah, we have played you done? back home. Yeah, we yeah. played back home a few As times. well received, not only from friends and family, but the greater yeah, people that didn't know us. Because I, I actually, you know, my fan base, so I left when I was 22, so the fan base that I built while I was there, I, I they, I don't have them that right. much anymore because I was gone all those years. So it's it's cool to just re, to be building up and because people especially when I meet people now they're like man yeah we were like a, 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 a folks le- a legend like a tall tale or something <laughs> yeah. it wasn't real so when we do go back home it's nice to to get the love like that and play play back in Memphis and it's like wow this is great and then people are so talented there I mean like good god there's so much talent in Memphis yeah so much talent and so I'm, I'm happy to see the city uh it's getting the chances. A lot of people that are from Memphis are starting to really be known and stuff. So that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that? Are you, is this a big DIY project for you? Are you self-managing this, the collective? Correct. Yeah. It's me. And, um, um, I have a, I have a manager that I work with that I b- bounce ideas from, but, um, it's, that's kind of just it really. Okay. Yeah. What 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 words of advice? Because I mean, the DIY market is easy in some senses because every everybody who creates something can put it somewhere or whatever, show it off on social media or streaming platforms. Uh, but have any advice from like you've been on the road with majors and you've been in the game and you've been around like the industry of the industry, like the heavies. 
So, and I'm sure you've probably gleaned some things from that and how the industry works so you can apply towards the Brandon Brown Collective. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to people out there on the DIY tip? Man, uh, it's so many different ways to play the game Mm -hmm. because you can buy your your way into it. If you got the pockets for that, then do that. Yeah. But if you don't have, <laughs> that, that's the suggestion. <laughs> if you got the money, pay for it. <laughs> you do, just pay for it. But if you don't, build up your fan base by having great music, great, mm-hmm. great um, shows, having great, um, a great, a great uh, look or something that's just going to get people interested in your music. Yeah. Um, because the fans, it's all about the fans. Sure. got to have fans, got to have people that's interested and want to like hear what you're doing or see what you're doing. And um, yeah, if there's no demand, then why supply? You know what exactly, I mean? Like- exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that has to be there first. And if you're not going to, like I said, if you're not going to buy the numbers and yeah. buy the fans, then just keep pushing your thing. Keep pushing it as, as best you can in, in whatever creative ways that you can. And and also, I would say, really learn how to like, it sounds, it's, gonna, it's not a fairy tale, but use your imagination. Like really only think about what you want. Like what do you really want? Right. And like then, don't be afraid to dream. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, that's once, beautiful. You, once you have that, it, what it is that you want, then work. Yeah. Towards that, work towards that. Like, only think about that. Focus on that thing, and and before you know it, man, the, the universe, God, whatever you believe in, will this thing will send you all the people that you really need. Yeah, you won't have to go out searching for. It. I know for so long I was like, man, I wish I had this. I wish I had a manager. I wish I had um, some people, someone to kind of help me organize this stuff. And I was looking and looking, and one day I stopped looking. And then, bam, found found the right person. It's nice. so interesting how it works. Because one thing I do know about the world, and I study quantum physics and this sort of thing a lot. So, like, what if you're looking, whatever you're looking for is not looking for you. Once you stop looking for it, then it's going to look for you. Really? I, I Now, I've noticed that concept kind of in life before. And I kind of think about it if, like, you put like a, a beach ball in the swimming pool or in the ocean or something and you're grabbing at it, the waves push it further away. Right. You know, as soon as you stop reaching for it, maybe the water flow will just bring it back to you. <laughs> so I've noticed that in life before, but coming from a more uh, maybe academic approach than a beach ball in a swimming pool, <laughs> what, uh, how does it, how does it kind of uh, relate in your mind? How do you, how do you make sense of that concept in your mind? Nice. That's a great question. So it's about really focusing on what it is I really want. Cause typically we think about shit we don't want mm-hmm. in general. We, right. we, end up, we end up thinking about it like, Oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? Or, or it's how a, is it's this? a defensive game, isn't it? I, right? I could 100% agree with you that I don't want this, but what do you want? I don't know. I just know I don't want that. So right? you're just defensive. You're not really opening to be offensive at all. Right. So if, when you and you and we don't know that's what we're doing. We're focusing on what we don't want, which results right. into more of the shit we don't want. Right, right. So then, once you really break down what it is that you do want, and then only really focus on that, meaning you writing down your ideas that you have when you have your imagination, your visualizations, whatever. 
you write down what you saw. Yeah. And then, okay. So you, you remind yourself of, oh, this thing is going to happen or mm-hmm. I desire this thing. So let me, let me, let me not do this so I don't mess this up or let me, let me spend a little extra time on perfecting this. So that way I can, I, when the opportunity comes, I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this is how you kind of, this is how I break it down. Like when I, once I have a goal in mind, then I, I just really focus on it and I do the, whatever work I can do on my end to, to make sure that I'm ready for it when it comes. So that way, when it comes, Bam! I'm, I'm, I'm I've already. But, but you're not chasing. You just prepare. Yeah, but I'm not exactly. I'm not. I'm not chasing, and I'm expecting it though. Too. Yeah, I'm preparing and expecting. I'm in a state of expectation because I know that this is something I can, I desire, and I can have it if mm-hmm. I really want it. And and so it's it's definitely taken a lot of practice and me like not. I wasn't even aware that I was doing this though. Hmm. It wasn't up until maybe like 2016 where I became aware of how to apply this knowledge. Like I was doing it naturally, but I didn't know I was doing it. Okay. If that makes sense. So I got a little bit more defined around that time. Like you under kind of observed your own process. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And also, um, looking through, through trial and error, I could see, Oh shoot, I, I did this. I could see where I missed. I, I could see the results of why this thing happened because I was thinking this way about it mm-hmm. because I was, I, my mind was thinking these things. And then I got the result of that thinking. Right. So it's like, Oh, once I changed my thinking about everything, I was doing, I was like, oh, I was already doing this before. Yeah. Okay, okay, got you. I was just thinking Victor Wood. I was just thinking Stevie Warner. I was just thinking the Jacksons. I was just thinking, you know, Motown. I was just thinking playing my bass on large stages or you can just playing on hit songs. I was thinking about being um, successful in, in, in the music industry. Okay. And then it happened, but not really like, Cause I really didn't do too many auditions, man. Like I didn't audition for the Jacksons. I didn't audition for American Idol. I didn't audition for none of this stuff. Right. You know, um, it was all because I was at the right place at the right time. I was prepared. Someone might've made a suggestion. Someone saw me playing somewhere and and asked me, you know, so how the how to is another thing that we have to uh, let go of. Cause we always wonder how is this going to happen? Mm-hmm. And um, the how really gets in the way because then we really limit ourselves to this one thing that we think could happen. Right. And then it's like, dang, you, you, you closing off all the different possibilities um, that can come your way by just thinking about how it's going to happen or worrying about it. Is uh, you mentioned kind of writing down? Is that part of your process too? Do you you write down some of these uh, things where you'd like to see yourself? And like, do you go back and revisit that? Do you is do you, do you make it tangible in that degree? <laughs> right here. Okay. He's held, for everybody just listening to the audio of this, Brandon yeah. just held up a very full notebook. <laughs> I and I got they're all over the place. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Full of they're all written down because yeah, in the Bible it says write the vision and make it plain. Mm -hmm. I also believe in like once you put pen to paper, then it's like 
<clears throat> you're putting it out there to the world. And then you're also showing yourself like, oh, it's like reminders. Because when I go back and open these journals, I was like, oh, I did this happen? Okay, yeah. This now. Do you okay, do you go? Cool. Do you keep a record? Do you go back and write down like, let's say you know, in one of the notebooks, it's, it's play with Stevie or play with the Jacksons or oh, yeah. beyond. Do you write down the? <laughs> well, this is how it happened, and then like kind of reevaluate the whole process. Like, man, when I was sixteen, I wanted to play with the Jacksons. You know, this many years later, touring with the Jacksons. Yeah, but it happened because I met this dude, this dude, this dude. Just did my business, prepared for it. Did you write down the to uh, encourage yourself? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think I ever wrote it back down in retrospect, but it, I think things that I write down in the flow. Yeah, I, I'll go back and read it and be okay. like, "Oh shoot, this really happened." Yeah. So yeah, it's more that's it's empowering more that like you that. you realize the successes you've had. It's easy to be just in the moment, forget. Yeah. You know, be in the moment, kind of looking forward, and forget about all the all the things that came to pass in a positive way that's really easy to forget i think it is yeah we're programmed to remember the negative stuff too more than right. the positive stuff and we'll go and the first thing we'll typically do is talk about the thing we didn't want to happen right you know it's so interesting how we program but i learned i learned like i started recognizing Oh man, I need to stop talking about things I don't want. Yeah. I need to stop acknowledging things I don't want. And then when I have those thoughts of things I don't want, I can tell myself not to agree with them and then start thinking about the things I really want. And then so that way I can stay in that flow. But that's right. the work. That's the that's the hard work, so to speak. When I'm, I'm and these are in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hard because it's Cause we, people think we have to work hard and all this stuff to make it. And it's, if there's value in being diligent, but you can work smart and not so like hard where you're breaking your back and you're not getting rest. Cause you got to get rest to be able to be your best, the mm -hmm. best that you can be at For some sure. point, but you still have to put in the work. It's just about balance. Mm -hmm. And, and I think thinking about or going about things this way, really relieves you of because you don't want to be I don't want to be blaming people or like for my success or failures right you know like it was this person's fault that this didn't happen or well because of this person this happened well really no I had to be the one doing the work like I can hook up somebody with a gig and they'll say oh Brandon you did this but yeah I just I gave you I gave you uh, a chance to go improve yourself Right, right. You know, it's not that I did something because you still have to go and do it. So, you know, I started breaking and breaking all those things down and it started making a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the, the diligence that you um, invest in is all the mental and heart game of it all. It's just staying like really committed in an expecting assured way and, and mentally yeah. you're, you're mentally kind of yes. in it and like keeping your, keeping your mental game on point. I mean, obviously you've clearly put time in and hours in on the base and you do understand the style and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think you're right, man. I think so much of all of it is strictly about like where you're at in it. Right. Like that's it. It's like, it's not really, the thing 
you know, getting the gig or whatever, because I mean, you've had a chance to have a, a fantastic career, you know, but you also know that every great gig comes to an end, you know? Yeah. And so like that doesn't make or break you. You're still you at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, that's great, man. And I think that oh, it's, man, uh, I think that's probably, probably one of the best things that anyone's uh, talked about on here. It's because it's like, that's, that's the human thing of it all. And that's how that relates to music, which is just all about people. And so when Vic had to introduce yourself just by playing, it's because music's people, you don't need the words, right? You know, it's all there. So like, this is the, that's all the humanity of music, not all because music's huge, but that's so much of the humanity of music is where your mind's at. So true, man. Man, it's beautiful. So true. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You get, Pastor Funk, you know, that's my artist name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you I know, like that's, it. That's the, because I I um also, like, my father's a pastor, and then I I was accepted my calling into the ministry when I was, like, maybe 21, 22, so I was preaching a few sermons back in Memphis, and I preached a few out here really? in L.A., too, yeah. Really? But my, I don't have a religious uh, point of view anymore, like, it's all it's all about spirituality and 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 self uh love and the god power within and tapping into that and creating because we were made in his in the image of the creator mm-hmm. which means that we are creators i mean mm-hmm. we whatever we think we can you know this this these microphones somebody this was an idea in somebody's mind right right and now here it is working yeah all yeah. of this stuff that we see was it all started in the mind. Sure. And so I, 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 I feel as though like, okay, I have that same power in me. I know. And not just me, all of us have that same power. And I'm pastor Funk is just, I, I'm here to share that, mm-hmm. that knowledge. Like, Oh, you can, you can actually think about it this way because we want to be happy. We want, we want to have good health, happiness, love, success, prosperity, and money with ease, comfort, and joy. Like that's my, mantra yeah <laughs> because the world doesn't want us to be that to to have that the world or the inorganic ones rather they want you to not be focused on your power they want you to always be weak they want you to be from a lack mentality or or defensive or uh what's the word dependent victim, yeah depict dependent and victimized yeah, yeah mindset like i'm a victim what was me no sure. Right. If someone else would have done something, I would have had my shot. I would have got my shine. I would have got whatever. Exactly. And I just, I'm like, oh, it's so disgusting to me. Like, I refuse to to give away my power like that. Yeah. Anymore to to anyone to 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 myself to my career to to challenges to women to. It seems like it seems like even I mean from from what you spoke about you've had a very strong assurance about who you are since kind of day one. (laughs) You're like, that's always, that was something that (laughs) you're laughing because you're probably thinking about some, some shit your mom said or something like, (laughs) no, I've always been my own thinker. Okay. I I never was like one to join into the trends and doing what everybody else was doing. I, I was also blessed to, I grew up around people that were older than me. Like yeah, when yeah. I was a kid, like I was around just nothing but the OGs all the time because I was like the youngest and I used to have to get babysitted all the time. So like 
I was always around older people. So I, right. I just really gravitated to people who are like that wisdom, like just certain little things like don't we're not I'm not going to do this. I'm going to yeah. do this. OK. And, and these it's, it's really helped me throughout my years. I have this, this saying <laughs> that I'm eight and 88 at the same time. <laughs> eight years old. When I was eight, I was already who knew who I was. When I was eight, I was this way. Yeah. Like, and so like eight, I so I have the innocence and imagination of an eight year old, but and then I have the wisdom and stubbornness of an yeah. eighty eight year old. <laughs> all at the same time. It's a good balance for me. It keeps, yeah. It keeps me grounded. And okay. And open at yeah. the same time. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh so when when can we look out for this? When when can we look out for the record? I will say this December. December. Yeah, December. It could even be November, but December for sure. Like okay. right before the new year starts. Nice. You got some uh, some dates for the new year to go to go hit the road with it? Um, well, we're going to, we plan on doing a show this Christmas in Memphis, like to kind of kick it off. Nice. Cause of the holidays. We'll all be home. Okay. So we'll do, uh, we're planning on doing a show either this Thanksgiving or Christmas back home. You go so back every year for the holidays? Um, well, I used to go back, um, a lot. Um, then I didn't go back for a while. Well, then you had the quarantine. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, that kind of threw a uh, wrench, kind of. <laughs> yeah, the, More than everything kinda. about everything. That was the worst. <laughs> right, but um, I, I, my parents, they came to see me this year, which is so amazing. Nice. I took them to Universal Studios, took them to the beach. Cool. That was, that was, the, that was, that's the best, you know. Yeah. Got to hang out with my little niece, nephew, my mom, dad, sister. And brother-in-law and his mom. So everybody okay. came. Wow. So I got the see, whole yeah. squad. Yeah. Whole squad. Man. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> That's cool. So I'll be home to see them um, at one of the holidays this year. Cool. <coughs> cool, man. Yeah. Uh, dude, Brandon, this has been an absolute pleasure, dude. Yo, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. That was my talk with Mr. Brandon Brown. Uh, Brandon and I messaged a little bit after the interview, and I thanked him. I thanked him for digging in. Like, he really, he talked about it. He talked about the person behind the music and how that impacted his career, and that's that is absolutely my favorite. That's absolutely my favorite when we get to learn about the musician and who they are as a person and kind of what makes them tick and how that impacts uh, their career and their musicianship. But thank you, Brandon, for that. It was absolutely encouraging and inspiring to uh, to kind of be reminded, you know, and maybe re- recalibrate to keep a positive mindset about uh, our careers and ourselves and, uh, you know, honor mental health and all that. So, uh, yeah, crushing, crushing. If you're enjoying the Base Shed podcast, please hit subscribe wherever you are listening to it. Give it a rating, leave a comment. And uh, that's about all I got for this one, folks. That's all I got. I'll catch you on the next one in a minute.